This is a Stand Up New York Labs production, providing you podcasts since 2013. This week's episode of X-Ray is sponsored by Brexit. Brexit is sad, confused, and unable to find its footing, and it's reached out to me personally for support. I said, look, Brexit, Teresa's doing her best and hanging on by a thread here, and I've already called her personally to offer her mac and cheese and sexual healing, but she said, no, thank you, she's all set. So I told Brexit, it's best you sponsor my podcast and just give back for all the drama you've caused. So thanks, Brexit, for your support. I hope you find a peaceful and productive conclusion. Not likely, though. Okay, let's start the show. Hey, everybody. Raylan Casper White here with another edition of X-Ray. I am what you call a non-glot. Uh, I speak English. Uh, when I communicate with couples for the surrogacy stuff, I use Google Translate, which ends up in a lot of misunderstandings and liabilities. But I keep using it because I don't have a uh, proclivity. See, that I'm, I do learn new English words when I can. Proclivity for new languages. I find it annoying as fucking hell. And as Americans, we do rule the universe, and English is the only language one should know. But there are some people on the planet that have a, a talent for it and an interest in learning other languages. And I have one of them here who is adorable, by the way. I know men hate. Who wants to be called adorable? But you really are. I mean, you're probably like 40 years younger than me. How old are you? 23. 20, well, okay. They're about six years younger than me. Um, <laughs> this is Timothy Doner. And he is what we call a hyper-polyglot. Uh, and he, he knows a gazillion language. We're going to talk to him about that. Uh, hi, Timothy. Hi. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Good, good, good. You're okay speaking in English, so it's not going to be like this is boring the fuck out of me. Why don't no, we speak? No, no, no. It's, it's, it's my preferred one these days. It is preferred? No. Okay, okay. Can you give me a little bit about your history? I know when you were you were 16, you started uh, <laughs> teaching yourself, autodidactic teaching yourself some languages, or what, what's what's the scoop there? Uh, so I'm from New York. Okay. Um, had an interest in languages since I was about 13 or 14. Okay. Uh, when I had my bar mitzvah, I got Oh, you're Jewish. See, yeah. I, I, I tend to book a lot of Jew, Jewish guests. <laughs> you guys are fantastic. Well, it's I hard not to you. in New York, I guess. It, it, well, I bring people all over, but Jews, um, you know, it's a diverse, festive group of people that take interest in a lot of shit. So you were doing your bar mitzvah. Yeah. And you were studying your little Torah portion. I was. Okay. And what happened then? You're like, I hate this. You're like, I love this. Uh, no, I got, I got very into it. And then afterwards, I got very interested in uh, studying Hebrew and learning more about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict summer after that when I was going into high school I went to a summer camp to learn Arabic oh, the wow. other side of the equation okay. and then it just kind of rolled from there so okay so let me back up for a minute did you go to yeshiva I did no I sorry so we're we're basically not Jewish okay. we we are in all, for all intents and purposes, cultural Marxist, I would say, or at least other people would call us that. Okay, we your parents are were like lefty intellectuals? More or less. Okay, yeah. okay, fair enough. But um, I, I went to uh, an Episcopalian school for middle school, got bullied a lot, so I kind of rallied around that identity, and I got I got oh, very wow. uh, into being Jewish for a few years. Okay, that was in middle school. That was in And where'd school. you go to high school? Uh, Dalton on the Upper East Side. Oh, that's that she-she celebi fucking school. Well, you know- But it's you supposed know, to be good. You know the Woody Allen film? The what, He's yeah, what, fucking yeah. a seventeen-year-old from that's you from know, that's, our, that's our claim to fame. Well, I know. I remember reading one article. Um, I know it's a good school, and you guys do a lot of shit over there. But they try and diversify. So you got these inner-city kids being bussed in. Then you got kids with private jets. Mm. Do they hang out? Probably um, not, right? I mean, let's just be honest for a it, minute. It depends. There's like a lot of clustering, but you know, okay. for the most that's part, a good like. Word for it. <laughs> no, I mean, you have a grade of like a hundred kids. Basically, everyone has to interact with each other. Okay. But I mean, yeah, there's like very clearly racial divides, class divides, right. all that uh, kind of kind shit. Kind of like the world, like the earth. Yeah, or like New York City. I mean, it's a microcosm yeah. for everything. Right, that, yeah. right, right. So you were adult, and you were a good student. Uh, I guess, yeah. Yeah, what's that? I guess that a modest, <laughs> wait, a modest brag. What's that called? Humble brag. Humble, Humble brag. brag. Uh, magna cum laude. Uh, so you, okay, so while you were at Dalton, yeah. did you have uniforms at that? You have to wear like the sweaters with the, with the no, badges? I used, I used to wear hoodies. You were a hoodie guy, like, like Mark Zuckerberg. Exactly. Okay. I don't like him, but that's a whole other conversation. Don't either. Okay. So you started doing the Hebrew and then, so you <laughs> did take classes. It wasn't like you were at home learning from, from, te from books. Well, so, so I was later on, but basically summer I was going into high school. I went to, um, for about a month, I went to Brigham Young, okay. the Mormon, Mormon University. I love it. I, I'm a pantheist, so I'm all for all that shit. Because, <laughs> you know, um, basically, you know, because Mormons have to go out and, you know, preach their religion, et cetera, right. you have this huge concentration of all this linguistic talent <gasps> in, like, a very small area. Oh, wow. So the government um, spends a lot of money on programs, especially in places like BYU, 
Where is um, BYU? It's in Provo. So oh, like right. 45 Provo, minutes from Provo. I've been in Provo. It's a shithole, but yeah, I know Provo. <laughs> it's great mountains. I had I had good sex in Provo, but that was about it. With a Mormon? Uh, you know, I didn't ask. It was kind of, you know. Don't ask, It was a tell. mysterious evening. Okay. It involved like green bed sheets and wool blankets, but it was fun. But that was fucking Provo. Love it. So Well, um, so, so basically, you know, so I went to this... Um, learn Arabic program there with mostly, there was a lot of Mormon teenagers, some other kids who weren't. So their um, plan was to go to Arab countries and convert Muslims to Christianity? Well, this was more just That's like a, a, here's like a, you know, a government program, just learn Arabic because we need more people who learn languages like that. Okay. Um, okay. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I assume for a lot of people there, there was like a religious angle. I, w- I mean, I'm a, right. That's yeah. why they're funding it in the first. Like you said, it's a missionary. It comes from a missionary. Uh, yeah. Goal. But it's it's more just that the government wants to tap into like all these people who are right. in this one area who have this knowledge. How anyway, many but, Christians? Sorry, I, I don't know if you know yeah. this. Like, I'm not making yeah, yeah. you an anthropologist. Yeah. How many Christians are there in the Arab world? I in know that world? like in Israel, there's a bunch of Christian Arabs. You could say, I don't know, in Egypt, the estimate is about, I think, 10%, maybe upwards okay. of 15%. So it's a minority. Among Palestinians, I... I've heard upwards of twenty percent. Okay, uh, so Lebanon. The, guy, the, the missionaries did a good, a better job in in Palestine. Yeah, well, than they you know did those those places have been Christian actually probably longer than the United States has existed, right? So right, in Lebanon, right. there've been Christians going back. Well, longer than Islam, beginning. right? I mean, what? Oh, came, yeah, sure, sure, sure. What came first? Christianity, Christianity right? Came right. first, right? Right. Muhammad so, and Allah came a little late. They hung out later. They did. They did. Right, they yeah. kind of rolled in. They rolled in a little at later. The end of antiquity. Yeah, yeah. They're like, okay, all right, here we are. And you know, Syria used to be entirely Christian. Armenia is still predominantly Christian. All of what's today, basically Eastern Turkey, Northern Iran, right. it's all formerly the Christian. The Ottoman Empire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and I'm sure the Muslims are pissed. They're like, well, no, the Christians are pissed. Like we used to be here, and then Allah came and yeah. kind of, you know, converted them. Like those yeah. guys, they've been converted Jews to Christians to Muslims. They covered the, the gamut. They do. A monotheism. They do. That's, I like that. I think that's fun. <laughs> you learn Arab, both writing and speaking, or just the speaking yeah, part? Yeah, both. Both. Isn't there a difference in spoken and written Arabic, There, there is, yeah. So it's it's a lot more extreme than you have in English, obviously, right. where there are standard and non-standard varieties, but basically well, most everything most of us are is, illiterate, so it's, well, just, there you it's go. just speaking. Right. Yeah. Spend a day on Facebook, you'll see that. Yeah, exactly. Um, but no, so in the Arab world, there's, there's a kind of... Uh, there's a standardized language which is very kind of haughty and I'm not sure if that's the exact word. Haughty. I don't know. Uh, it's just it's just very it's very high, it's very formal, it's not right. how anyone speaks. Right, right. So you go into the streets, the grammar is completely different, the vocabulary is street, different, pronunciation is talk. different. Exactly. Okay. Right. So you basically have to learn them side by side. Okay, so you did do that. So mm-hmm. you did the Brigham Young thing with the Mormon peoples. Yeah. And then you also continued on your own. How and then what other languages uh I know you how many do you know now? Well, I work professionally in about four. Okay. But I would say I have a good level in about five to ten others and can understand another five to ten. So like overall, and like 40? Then a lot of dead ones. Like 40 ones? 20. 20 maybe. total? Yeah. Okay, well, that's amazing. I mean, that's fucking amazing. And you knew a lot of these when you were like 16 or something. You knew a lot. Yeah, that 16, 17 is when I basically was spending all of my time doing this. Like I didn't leave my house except for school. I would, you know, on weekends I'd study for 18 hours a day. Wow. Did you... So was fucking miserable Did in high you school. masturbate in different languages too? Did I you, did, of course. Porn? Of course. Okay, because I'm saying porn That's the best be, way to do it. You're exposed to natural language. It's natural a, language, yeah, yeah. emotional connection. Sure. Sexuality. All of it is in Czech or Japanese or Russian. You know, you got to get a good... I've never seen Czech porn. Oh, Japanese, they, those guys are fantastic. Oh, what a time to be alive. But it's interesting because I, I know that... Um, I've been a lot of, I've traveled a lot through my, I'm a professional surrogate. I don't know if you know that, but I make babies for people. And so I, people come to me and I, you know, carry their child. Sometimes they back out and I end up keeping the child, whatever. So I've been all over the world, wherever people want, I go and like Mm. they meet me and, you know, they want to touch my hair. It seems to be a thing. But I know that language really does reflect a culture, right? I mean, people think the Middle Easterners are always angry. They're not angry. They're just passionate, right? Or Italians are always screaming at each other, right? Or the French have a pipe up their rectum. Whatever it is, the language itself is very onomatopoeic, if you will. So did you take interest in the actual cultures through the language? Or was it just the the act of, like, learning a whole new way of communicating? You know, tell tell me a little bit about that. No, there's there's definitely a cultural angle there, right? Of course, yeah. Right. I mean, in, in any kind of scenario like that, you get this insight into, you know, how different people think, how they see the world how they interact with one another. Um, and I think you generally do, like, see different ways of, I don't know, of envisioning things or of connecting with people. Right. right? So, like, the, the main language that I've spent my time on the last couple of years and that I use professionally is, is Persian, right, from Iran. Okay. Um, is it Farsi? It's Farsi. It's a, yeah, it's a... People it's, say Persian? Yeah, well, it's, it's the same word etymologically, right? Oh, so, okay. So Farsi is... Farsi is, is, an, is per... Okay. Right, because okay. Arabs don't have the letter P. They came into Iran. 
the language oh. was called Parsig, and then they said Farsig. Farsig. Oh, I like that. Yeah, okay, yeah. okay. There you go. Um, what do you mean you work with? What's your line of work now? Uh, political risk analysis. Okay, okay. So, so, that so intelligence work? Uh, not exactly. Um, so I've done stuff like that previously okay. um, in you know private sector sort of business intelligence. Right. But now it's much more about like geopolitical forecasting. Okay. That makes any sense. Yeah, so, it does, kind of. So mean... if you're a hedge fund, let's say, okay. and you want to know um, what what's going to happen. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, we got lights going and things are falling apart here at, at the studio. Go ahead. What's going to happen with uh, Brexit? What can I expect from a Democratic Congress? Okay. What, you know, what's the outlook for Mohammed bin Salman, you know, in the Gulf a year from now? Right. We're allegedly the guys who come in and say... We've talked to our people on the ground. These are what our contacts say. This is our analysis, like, you know, and this is how it's going to affect different assets. Okay. Well, I feel like I'm imagining you've gotten more humble because I think that you were kind of a sensation when you were 16, 17 because you suddenly spoke. You did this video with how many? 20 languages? Yeah. And you learned them rudimentary or plus, rudimentary plus, which is kind of amazing. And then people wrote about how your brain is wired or your neural right. networks are right. different. Did they find that your brain, did they do MRIs on you and so, find a different, like, <laughs> structural, you know what I mean? I did I did go for testing at MIT okay. in, in 2013. Okay. And what um, they find? They found I had a smaller, something called Broca's area. I know, but that's which, a language area. Isn't yeah, it? That's yeah, Wern, yeah. Wernix and Broca. Ver, yeah, exactly. Okay. Right, so Broca is more, as far as I understand, about the physical production of speech. Okay. Um, left hemisphere. And okay. it's And it's, anyway, they said mine was smaller. That's all I found out. I had no idea what that meant. It was small. Well, let's think smaller. about it for a minute. If you're, But you're producing speech. Okay, and the other one is for processing speech? I'm not sure exactly. The thing, as far as I understand, when people have a damaged Broca's area, they, okay. they, they can't speak physically well. can't produce speech. Yes. They can't yes. coordinate their mouths and, and shit like Wernick, that. And when Wernick, they can't understand what you're saying. Probably, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Because when you have like like very late stage alcoholism, you get okay. something called Wernicke's encephalopathy, which is where you like the words you're producing don't make any don't sense. make any sense. Yeah. Well, yeah, cousin Cooter. Um, <laughs> but that was what made you kind of claim to fame, right? You're like this young kid's teaching himself twenty fucking languages, and just you zip through them. I saw that video. Mm. It's impress. I mean, it was arousing and impressive at the same time. You're too young, so I, I kind of cut that off when that happened. <laughs> But then now that you, you've left that, so you're like, okay, great, I get it, I'm a sensation, but enough of that. Like, I'm more than just my ability to spout out Pashtun, right? Okay. So you're doing this risk analysis stuff. Once you decided to go into that, did you decide to focus? Because obviously if you're doing intelligence work or risk analysis, you need to know much more than just rudimentary, like, I can converse if I go to Afghanistan, right? right? You, you're doing analysis of documentation, probably intelligence work. So what is it about you that you're bringing to the table um, that other people that have specialized for the last 20 years in this language and spent years living there? Like just, you know, not that I'm hiring you, but I'm yeah. just saying. Well, I would say I'm bringing to the table the same thing that people who have specialized for all the time abroad, right? It's, okay. it's an in-depth knowledge of a specific part of the world, a background in political science and how different institutions of a country or okay. a market function. Right. Um, and and a lot of it also is just the ability to kind of jump between places, right? So if you're a Middle Eastern analyst, let's say, yeah. you only know Arabic, obviously you can cover a huge part of the region, but you may only have like a surface level understanding of what's going on in Iran, right. what's going on in right. Turkey. Right. So my goal basically is to have my hand in, in every single pot and, and to develop like a pretty you know, deep understanding of each one. Amazing. Now, have you traveled to most of these places where you speak the language? Um, n yeah, in some places. I mean, I've been trying to go to Iran for the last couple of years, okay. but that doesn't seem like the best thing at the moment. Really? Is it? Because um, a lot of Iranians, I know even those that left after 79, they end up going back. And it's, it's not that it's, it hasn't been dangerous for a long time, but especially in the last six months, now okay. that the sanctions have come back, uh, right. inflation is you know skyrocketing again. Ugh, there are very God. serious protests. It doesn't really seem like the best time to be going. Plus, okay. you know, obviously, it's cut off from the rest of the world in the sense that, like, you can't use a credit card there. Oh, you, really? Yeah, there's a lot of crazy a stuff that kind of goes I, into it. Yeah, and you have to go with a government minder if you're an American Ooh, citizen. Ooh, I like a minder. I see. I think, I think, I think a I'd minder like would be very cool. I going to the government cool. minder. <laughs> Just sounds like body, like Kevin see, Costner shows up. I know Americans who've went, who've had great minders. Right, you, yeah, minders, you have an annoying minder. minders who will take them out and get them fucked up, who will you know hang with them, etc. Cocaine prostitutes, the right kind of minder, probably. Yeah, right. Well, I'm imagining but, so. But you can also get a bad minder, so that's that's yeah, sort of the, that's a 50-50. Nobody wants that minder, right? <laughs> but Iran confuses me. Iran, Iran, it confuses me because it's like this. Unlike other countries that are more uh, fundamentalist, I guess. Um, it's just confusing because they're like modernized, yeah. but then they got the the supreme leader. Who makes the law? They had Ahmed. I know it's not Ahmadinejad anymore. Yeah. Who's there now? Who's the president now? Rouhani. Rouhani. What the fuck? Like, they're making <laughs> these amazing films, which are fine, but then they can't get the films out. Or they're, you know, the women are can dress the way they want, but explain what yeah. the fuck's going on. In, is it an identity crisis? They have too it's many leaders? It's pretty What's fucking confusing. I mean, <clears throat> I think, quite honestly, if you go back, 
let's say, uh, about 100 years, mm -hmm. you see a lot of the same issues going on today in the sense that there's this struggle between modernity or people looking to westernize, people looking to you know, modernize but not westernize, people looking to maintain you know, traditions of, let's say, the clergy or Shia Islam, et cetera. Right. It's mostly and, Shia then. Yeah. Okay. Right, which is And the Shias are the, the ones that accepted... Muhammad is the prophet. They, well, so all Muslims accept Muhammad as a prophet. Okay. So, so the Shias accept uh, a guy named Ali, who was who was the fourth caliph after Muhammad. Okay. So okay. basically, so Muhammad dies. Muhammad. Wait. So the Allah's God. Allah's God. Muhammad is the prophet. Is his messenger. But he's like there's the a lot. Jesus of well, Muslims. He's, he's the last messenger. So okay. Muslims accept Jesus as a prophet. And they do. Okay. Except, so Jesus is mentioned more in the Quran than Muhammad is. Okay. As is Moses. As what's his name in the Quran? Whose name? Jesus. Asa. Asa. Yeah. Okay. Um. So, so basically, right. So Muhammad dies. Okay. He has this giant empire right. in Saudi Arabia. So there's a he decides next. Okay, the person who's going to be head of the Muslims is a guy named Abu Bakr. He's very old. Dies after two years. Okay. Then there's why well, hire an old guy? But okay. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, not a smart move. Okay. He was a rich dude. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> he was like the you know the Roger Stone of a uh, right. right. <laughs> okay. Anyway, Abu Bakr uh, dies. Abu Bakr dies. You get two more guys, uh, uh, Omar and Uthman. Okay. Maybe the order is reversed. Anyway, and this is all in Saudi Arabia? Where? This like is in Saudi Arabia, but then also by the 630s, 640s, right uh -huh. as Muhammad is dying, they've conquered Egypt. Okay. They've conquered uh, Iran. All right. Or they started to conquer Iran. Mm -hmm. And modern-day Syria. Okay. 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 So then, anyway, that caliph dies. Then there's a time to get guy number four. Right. So there's a guy named Ali, who was the son-in-law of Muhammad. Son I think, in or law. brother in law, I forget. Okay, well, whatever. Anyway. I hate those. I, I always get confused. Son in law twice <laughs> removed. Okay. So basically, there's a there's a succession crisis, and okay. the people who end up supporting Ali call themselves Shia to Ali, the partisans of Ali. Okay. And they become the, the Shia, the Shia. But right? they don't think that Ali is a, a prophet. They just think he's a no, leader. They think that, that he had the right to. Um, assume the leadership okay. of, of the Muslim community. Oh, so and then, it's all about the Shia and Shia, all this like Sunni and Shia. It's literally about a dude that was just a leader, wasn't even a religious figure? Well, he was a religious figure in a sense, but okay, he wasn't but He, he wasn't was a prophet. Like, yeah. He wasn't divinely ordained. It's not like, we're you know, the Jews, you guys messed up because you didn't expect Jesus as right. our and Lord we, and then Savior. Then we killed him. Yeah, they, yeah, well, I mean, you know. But but Ali's not the Savior. He was just another kind of like the mayor. Yeah, right. He was he was They're basically just over a fucking mayor. He was basically the mayor. But then there was some more shit that went on that you know they killed one of his sons in this uh, really terrible okay, battle. Then it got ugly. Okay. And then and things got worse from that. And then so you have the splinter sect of the Shias going off, and then they kind of develop their own traditions and this belief that there's a guy named the Mehdi who's like the Messiah who's gonna okay. come back. Okay. There's twelve of them and then he vanished and Anyway, so there's other stuff that happens, but but fundamentally it does go down to this argument of basically who like, supported who gets Ali. To be in charge. Yeah. And what's the majority of the world? It's Sunni or Shia? Sunni. So Sunni 70, rejected 70, Ali. 30. Uh, yeah, they okay. they respect him, but but basically they right they don't recognize his his leadership. Like they don't have the school on his day of his death. They they observe right. like Ali Day, right? That's their respect <laughs> exactly. that they have. And then so you play the clock forward fifteen hundred years. You know they've developed their different traditions as well, right? So okay. that you know Shias have different rules about how many times a day you have to pray. Okay. There's a lot of sort of technical stuff like right, that. Right, right, right. But um, what a mess. And but but basically though the. A lot of it comes down to the story of Ali and then the martyrdom of his son Hussein. And there's kind of a martyrdom complex, I would say, in Shia Islam. Okay. This sense of, you know, we've been victimized, we were kicked out, we were, you know, we properly deserve this, and now right. we got screwed over. And that obviously defines a lot of tensions. In well, the they're region. like the mind, yeah, I mean, they're more, I think they're right, right? So right. they're like, we have to, do they think they have to reconquer the world? Mm, not necessarily. Okay. Right. But but there becomes this issue when you kind of play the clock forward from 1979, which is that so Iran is the only majority Shia country. In the Middle in East, the well, oh. no, no, Iraq is as well, but Iraq is was not run by Shia. Okay. Right? Okay. Okay. So you have you have this country that revolts, declares itself to be the leader of the Shia community in the world, and right. wants to export the revolution. It's very anti-status quo. Basically, if you look at a map of the Middle East, okay, you take a map of where the Shias live, you take a map of where the oil is. It's about one for one. Wow, so, smart. Those Shias so, are smart, <laughs> smart, man. They so, know where the Sunnis are making vegan hot dogs <laughs> in the meantime. Jesus. So you look at an east a map of Saudi Arabia. All okay. the oil is in the east. Where the Saudi, Shias are. Saudi Arabia is about 15% Shia. But they, they don't have civil rights. They're treated like shit. But anyway, all the oil is right okay. there. Okay. Bahrain is also very heavily Shia. Southern Iraq, where the oil is, right, also very right. heavily Shia. Okay. It's the same problem, right? So yeah. you have this issue of you now have the state that says we're in, in charge of all the Shia. We want to, you know, yeah. we're your saviors. And you have these countries like Saudi Arabia saying, no, you're not. Yeah. And that's obviously where you get, you know, very, very serious tensions. Okay. So the Shia are pretty much suppressed, oppressed in, in the countries where they're the minority. Um, in Saudi Arabia, I would say so, yeah. Okay. Bahrain, 
more or less, okay. right? So they, there was an uprising in 2011. The Saudis then came in and and crushed it. Washed. In order to protect the Sunni monarchy. Right. Um, and in Iraq, it's a little bit of a toss-up. Basically, after 2003, Iraq basically was handed over to Iran. So Iraq, for all intents and wow. purposes, is a client state since the United States. Client state. Fuck that up, yeah. Fuck, man. We fucked a lot of shit up. Wow, <laughs> I'm getting tired just thinking about all this shit. I mean, it's kind of insane. But in terms of, like, women's rights, it's all fucked. It's not great. It's not great in Shia or Sunni land. Well, no. Okay. No, I mean, it's 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 upsetting, you know, yeah. as, a, as a feminist with a mullet. I uh, I speak for women's rights. So Iran, so I guess Iran confuses me because I feel like they are very mo- more modern than a lot of the countries there. Uh, I don't include like Dubai, like the UAE, because those right. guys are like building Vegas over there. Right? That's also, conv- I don't know what that's about. Right. But, um, but so the Iran, wh- who do they really have to adhere to? Like who can decide, oh, you're not obeying Islam, you can be beheaded? Does that happen in Iran? Uh, there, there is capital. You're gonna get stoned because yeah. you cheated on your husband. I don't think they use stoning anymore. That's like that's that a Saudi Taliban. Thing? Oh, okay. Um, I don't think stoning is legal in Saudi. It might be. Okay. I'm not sure. Uh, yeah. But well. it's mostly hanging. Anyway, public execution, okay. which is right. Pretty disturbing. Either. Yeah, just, yeah. It doesn't matter how you do it, right? If yeah. yeah. Okay. So you're focused on Iran, which does have a very rich cultural history as well. Sure. How did they become the only country that speaks Farsi? Like everybody else is speaking Arabic, right? Yeah. So what happened? How did that happen? <laughs> So if you were to look at uh, a map of the world, let's say in, I don't know, 600 AD, okay. right, as Islam is getting started, um, basically all of what's Iran today spoke Persian or languages related to it, right, okay. in the same family. All of Central Asia was more or less Persian as well. So it was Bakistan, Turkmenistan, Kazakhstan, all the all stands. Those, all the stands, right? Stan they is were a, Persian. Stan is a Persian suffix, right, meaning land. It's related to Oh, English. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. It's related to the English word state, among other things, or status. Wow. Tajikistan? Um, yeah, yeah. So land of the Tajiks. So Tajik actually is, is a, according to one etymology, it's a derogatory term for Arabs, Tazi. Okay. Um, or maybe the name of a tribe. It's not clear. But anyway, Tajikistan, they still speak Persian today. Okay. Right. Okay. All of Western China was Iranian speaking. A lot of what's modern day uh, Ukraine and Southern Russia. Oh, the Russians. Probably spoke some dialect of okay. an Iranian language, like the Amazons were supposed to be Iranian speakers. The Amazons. Like going back much further. Wow. Right. Um, like Amazon, like Brazil? No, 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 like like Amazon's like the warrior women. Oh, Amazon women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, Amazon.com? Like, what are we, Amazon are we talking about? Okay, so Amazon women spoke, okay, okay. So most of, the, a lot of the world spoke some sort of Farsi. So languages related to it, right. But also, I mean, basically until the Islamic conquest, you could, the best guess is that Arabic was more or less limited to Saudi Arabia and, you okay. know, bits of the Fertile Crescent, right, right? So right. Iraq and Syria. And this is as Islam is coming into play. Right. And so, converting the Christians that are there. Exactly, right? So in Egypt, Greek was the main language. There was another language there called Coptic, which yes. was descended from ancient Egyptian. Okay. Um, in Syria and Lebanon, they probably would have spoken different continuations of Aramaic, which is the right. language that Jesus spoke. Uh, right? In Israel, they did that. In Palestine, right? Yeah. They spoke Aramaic. Yeah, right. Okay. At this time, it was called Syriac. Okay. Um, at that time also. That sounds like a cold medicine. <laughs> Sorry, it just does. Most of Eastern Turkey would have spoken Armenian. Okay. Um, and then, anyway, so there's this big linguistic sort of hodgepodge. Right. And then Arabic comes in, and over time you start seeing, you know, basically in order to get any sort of job or to get tax benefits, you need to speak Arabic, you need to be a Muslim. There are mass conversions. In Iran, that doesn't happen. So it was a financial consideration for a lot of people? Well, sure, because in Islam there's something called the jizya, which is the... Uh, the ta- what? Jizya. Jizya. Okay, so I won't say a, what that sounds like. Go ahead. I'm sorry. It's a it's a it's a tax in Islam on okay. um, on non-Muslims, right? So in one sense, that's smart. From right in the Middle Ages, yeah. Right. Um, you know, probably wasn't good to be a minority anywhere. Yeah. But in the Islamic world, you could live as a Jew or a Christian freely and as do business. As long as you paid your, your Jew tax. As long as you paid your Jew tax, tax right. right? As opposed to you know, getting rounded up and burned every, you know, four years Well, no one in the world, they probably made the Jews collect the tax they had to pay on themselves. Exactly, exactly. Fuckers. <laughs> Jesus. But, um, so what, what happened in Iran that's a little bit different is that that, Iran was essentially a superpower at that time. And there's this, there's this collapse around, let's say, 642 mm-hmm. A.D., um, because they've been fighting the what's basically the Roman Empire for the last 30 years. They're exhausted. They're not expecting the Arabs. They collapse. Okay. What happens is the Arabs actually end up taking an enormous amount of the like politics and administration from the Sasanian Empire, which is the Persian Empire, okay. and bringing it to Baghdad and then creating their own civilization with it. Okay. So uh, a lot of the texts that they brought out that that connected them to like, you know, ancient Greek learning right, and helped right. them, you know, whatever. 
discover algebra and things like that. Okay. Right? We're basically brought over by Persian mathematicians. Um, the entire apparatus of the state basically was Persian. All of the main families okay. were, were Persian. Were more or less Persian. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what happens in Iran is that they don't adopt Arabic, but that basically for about two centuries after the conquest, there's no records. There are very few records of mm. anyone speaking Persian. And then basically this one guy comes out after 30 years with this massive, massive poem, which is like the Iliad. It's called right. the Book of Kings. And it's basically his attempt to reclaim the Persian language. And he basically collects all these old myths from hundreds of years ago, okay. turns it into poetry, and that's still the national epic of Iran, basically. And oh, people wow. say that that's what saved the language. Yeah, it's called a Shahnameh. Is it good? Uh, it's a little long. Oh, it sounds, I mean, poetry more than half a stanza is <laughs> long, but I can't imagine how many of, yeah, it's like it's, a whole. It's huge. Like Ulysses? Yeah, exactly. Oh, right. Fuck but, me. But. Okay. <laughs> I couldn't even get past the, the blank page at the beginning of the book at Ulysses. No, me you know neither. what I mean? No, okay. he doesn't get out of the driveway and then shot them either. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so so a lot of Persians today claim that that's why their language survived. That this guy literally went around the country collecting all these old that's stories. Good guy. What was his name? Uh, Ferdosi. Ferdosi sounds yeah. Italian. Well, it's okay. related to the name Paradise. Oh, because paradise is a, is a Persian word. Is it? Mm -hmm. Okay, I have a newfound respect for all the Iranians out there. <laughs> it sounds like they're the aristocracy of the Middle East. Like they're like At the hub. Time, I yeah. mean, you know, what are they doing now? They're wreaking havoc. It's not great. But, you know, I mean, again, if you look at uh, a lot of, like, the, the major philosophers and mathematicians, right. whatever, the Islamic age, they were Iranian, right? So right. Abichan, I don't know if the name sounds familiar no. at all, Ibn Sina, he was basically— I heard the other guy. What was the other guy? Sina. Ibn Sina. It's the Ibn same Sina. name. Ibn Sina. Okay. okay. So he's a guy who basically brought—who was the, the leading, like, doctor or scholar of medicine okay. in the Islamic world. And a lot of his texts came back to Europe, and they helped in the Renaissance and basically right. rediscovering that kind of stuff. Um, got him Al-Khwarizmi, which is where we get the name Algorithm. Oh, wow. Right? He was a mathematician. Chock full that... of fun information. Okay. <laughs> he was a mathematician. Anyway, okay. A lot more stuff like this. Uh, I don't know. Now I get why you chose to focus on the air. I mean, it is fascinating. There's a lot of cool stuff there, yeah. Wow. Okay. And you compare that to what's going on today. Which and it's is, depressing. You know, it's depressing. It's de and I'm sure a lot of the Iranians are depressed. They're like, look at our history. You know what yeah. I mean? Look where we are now. Supporting all the other Hezbollah. And what else? What are they doing there? So what, let me ask you a question. So can I can I can I do a little? I know you don't like the shtick yeah, and yeah. the gimmick, but I'm, I'm excited to ask you. Okay. Can I? So you said twenty languages total. I guess. Yeah. Okay. So I'm not going to put you on the spot. It's not the UN. <laughs> We're not having some sort of convention on you know child refugees. But can I give some phrases and you pick a like a fun language and see if you can translate them? All right, let's see. Yeah. And if you don't know it, I'll cut it out. All right. All right. Yeah. yeah. Well, give me some of the more like obscure ones. Most of these I've probably forgotten or drank away by this point. Oh, did you? Well, okay, okay. Do you have like any um, uh, like West African dialects, you know? I studied Hausa a little bit. I studied Wolof a little bit. but Okay, where do they speak Hausa? Uh, Nigeria and Niger. In Nigeria and Niger? Mm -hmm. Niger is the poor one. Nigeria is the really wealthy one or the opposite? Uh, that's about right, but Nigeria is also pretty poor unless pretty poor. you're at the top. Right, well, okay. All right, so can you tell me that you love me in, in Hausa? Hmm. You don't have to. You can pick I used to know else. this at, at one point. I kind of forgot it. All right. Well, just tell me anything you remember. What does that mean? Praise be to Allah. Nice. So they're Muslim <laughs> there in, in the they're, houses. Or well, so, so you know Boko Haram? Yes, of Boko course Boko Haram is a house of word. So Boko is, is literally book, but it means education. Okay. And, and Haram is Arabic for Haram, banned. Oh, so wow. education is a sin. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's great. <laughs> Dive into that world. Education's a sin. That's what I tell all my children every day. Uh, okay, so how? So what's the other one? Uh, Wolof. Wolof. What is yeah, that? It's from Senegal. Senegal. Oh, I like I like Senegalese dancing yeah. and music. It is phenomenal. Uh, never had a Senegalese lover. I just want to put that out there in case you were wondering. Okay, how about some Senegal? Sen give me some of that Senegalese love. Nangadef. What is that? Mangafirek. What? How's it going? <laughs> it sounds like how's it going. Yeah. Is the cadence the same as American cadence? Uh, not really. I'm not sure. I'd have to think about that one. I like talking to you because one thing that drives me crazy um, with a lot of Americans, uh, me being one of them, is upspeak. Mm. You know what I mean? Where we have this cut, we're talking about that, and we're doing that at the end of everything, and then you talk like, you talk here, you know, when you come to New York, I get crazy going to Midwest. It just fucking drives me insane. But a lot of languages don't have that. And when you go to England, they have a musicality to their language that's just phenomenal. They kind of sing it. And since you've learned so many languages, I feel like you, you probably don't you don't have that. You have more of a 
Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, I, I, I upspeak a lot. I Do mean, you I, I feel like I'm kind of regressing to the mean. Oh, don't like regress. The, yeah, yeah keep, no. it, keep it real. Keep the cadence <laughs> musical. I mean, the one thing I can tell you is that basically no matter where you go, no matter how like refined something sounds, there are always people who sound like upspeaky or like valley girls or like hillbillies. You know, right. there's, there's always like the so house many, of valley girls. Exactly, right. I mean, no, no, there's always, you know, eight million different kinds of variations and dialects in any language. Um when you were younger, did you did, did you get more action because you spoke more? Like, did, the girls probably thought this was fucking impressive. Girls, boys, I don't know. Are you straight, gay? Straight. Straight. Okay, did the girls like it more? Yeah. I mean, every girl likes a smart guy and one that speaks language. I mean, that's hot. I mean, it's a little tough when you're capped at, like, five, six and three quarters. Okay. Which I, my doctor said I could be five, seven by the end of my life. But what like, a not, fucker. Yeah. I like short kind men. Kind of a piece of shit. Thank you. But, you know, it's a little, it's a little tough when you're five... Seven, you have to sort of, you know, look, look up, up to, to the girls. Right, exactly. Well, you got to pick a country where the women are short. Don't go to, like, Denmark right. and speak Danish. That's probably not going to get you much. Um, Everyone's well, also very sort of Aryan-looking. They are Aryan. They're like, here's the tensions. Jews. <laughs> Here he is, but he speaks languages. Do you have any tips for someone like me who's an idiot uh, who wants to learn a new language, who can't afford Rosetta Stone because that shit's like 300 grand. Just it doesn't to, work, yeah. It does, probably doesn't work. When I mean, were you Maybe aware of your process or did it just come naturally kind of like people are good at drawing, they just kind of draw, you know what I mean? They don't think about it. It's more of innate. Do you, are you um, self-aware of your process? Yeah, for, you know, it, it depends. Honestly, the one thing that I've always found super helpful is like memorizing rap songs. Or any other kinds of music, right? So you think oh, about it, right? Like, you listen to a song once or twice. If it's really catchy, it gets stuck in your head. You memorize it almost by accident, okay. right, without yeah, trying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I used to find was really helpful would be listening to pop music, like, especially in Hebrew is where I used to do this. And it was like downloading a dictionary. I'd have all these words in my head. I could kind of pull out this song. And then I would just go about it and sort of and try and look up or, or decode what everything was in English. Oh, wow. What was the rap group? Uh, there's a group called Hadag Nachash. Okay, what does that mean? Fish dog. Fish dog. So. Fish, uh, fish. Sounds like my old boyfriend. Not dog, but. Fish dog. <laughs> uh, fish snake? Fish snake, yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. think I heard of the fish, fish snake. snake. Okay, yeah. okay. So you've probably been to Israel. Uh, can't say that on tape. Oh, okay. Okay, why? Because you have to go to Arab countries a lot? Okay. And they won't let you in? They'll let you into Israel, though, right? Or they, will they grill the fuck out of you when you yeah, go? I mean, yeah, but... But did you... Uh, it's, caused, it's caused some issues. For has it? Okay. One, yeah. Well, you're Jewish, though. That should be an issue anyway, right? Yeah. Depends. Okay. Uh, I mean, just... basically right now, most of the Middle East is now warming up to Israel because they hate the Iranians so much, right? So Saudi Arabia, UAE right, are all... Right. It's, a, it's always such a mess, isn't it? But I guess it's like those weird, weird relationships where... Like people that are supposed enemies that are trying to kill each other end up having these business dealings. Yeah. And it's confusing. But then I talked to a diplomat once who explained to me, he said, at least those dealings keep it from escalating even further. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I guess with Russia, you know, supporting terrorist organizations that want to destroy Israel, but then Israel and Russia have a lot of business dealings and a good relationship. I'm like, well, what the fuck's happening over there? Sure. I mean, the defense minister in Israel up until a few days ago is basically a former Russian gangster. Okay. Victor Lieberman. Right, right. Um, you know, not exactly a gangster, I would say, but, no, but, but okay, I mean, strong he's, he's very man. tough kind of macho Russian dudes. Yeah, well, that's Yeah, I mean, you look, by the way, it, it basically, like, any major members of the of Russian organized crime in the last 30 years, right. huge number of them have tried either hiding their money in Israel or getting Israeli citizenship. Oh, interesting. Um, you know, so there's, there's yeah, there's a lot of... But then they're also, again, Russia's support, openly supporting these organizations, and Iran, right? I mean, yeah. it's, it's so... It's what? a balance. It's a, it's it's a very It's a very precarious balance. balance. Doesn't make me feel comfortable. No. <laughs> so did you what did you discover you said that you were interested first in Hebrew and then you went into Arabic to understand the Palestinian conflict what did you find illuminating once you dove in did you end up talking to more Palestinians online or chit chat like what opened all the time okay yeah. no I is that I, what that's what opened the door for you the linguistic capability you find yeah no I, I love that I love seeing the the similarities between Arabic and Hebrew and basically how you know words have sort of mutated in between them or right. still look like they're very similar but you know it's right you know, and I, I just love being able to, like, absorb media or other kinds of things, like, in, in its native format. Right. Like, reading poetry, listening to songs, or... So, so once you were online, did you join, like, a forum? Like, other ling li polyglots? There's a lot of stuff like that. Um, Any but... women? Yeah. Yeah, women, yeah, too? Okay. Yeah. The, the issue is, with a lot of them, you know, they were great, but you meet really... I mean, as anywhere online, you meet, like, kind of, you know, disturbing people. Just like Do very you? depressing people. Oh wow! Just they haven't left their house and just right. Well, just like who else is like posting at you know at at one p.m. on a Tuesday about you know arguing about like grammar points in some right. obscure dialect of German? It's like clearly this person is unemployed, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I just found like you know I would I would put videos up etc. And right. then you know within a day 
on my YouTube channel. Right. And within a day, there'd be like, you know, 10 pages in a form of just like everyone is dissecting this and just arguing this, et cetera. It's just like, it felt like a Star Trek convention. Yeah, it did feel. Everyone has these titles, yeah. you know, I'm a decaglot, I'm a, you uh, know, you're octoglot, a and all that shit. Oh, okay. Oh, decaglot. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But let me ask you, but this is what's weird to me because like you said, when you're a polyglot, most of these polyglots, correct me if I'm wrong, they're, they're not as specialist down to the etymology of language like someone who's a linguist in that particular language, right? So it's not like someone from a Ger- German studies professor at whatever fucking you posting. Right. These are people that are, I mean, I don't know, tell me if I'm wrong or most of the politics. No, no, that's, that's okay. basically right. That's okay. like, that's its own kind of subfield, I would say, of linguistics. Okay. And okay. it takes, you know, takes a while. Did you ever want to become like a translator, an interpreter? Well, I wanted to be a linguist for a while. I started at, like an academic yeah, linguist. Yeah, yeah. I started out college my first two years in linguistics. Where'd you go to college? Uh, I went to Harvard. Okay. Um, Why did I know you were going to say that? <laughs> I had a feeling. I've had a bunch of Harvard grads on here. I had Lawrence O'Donnell on sure. here. I had Kurt Anderson on here. And they're nicer than one would have thought. And you know, I had to suck it at them, it's, you know, because usually people from Harvard, they tell you the first 10 seconds that they're from Harvard. But now that's that weird reverse trend where you got to suck it at them. They're kind of like, yeah, they have to be a po- like apologize. Yeah, 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 Boston. Right. I'm like, okay, or Cambridge, whatever. Is it Cambridge or Boston? Or is it the same thing? Cambridge is the neighborhood in Boston? Same Who cares? Side, yeah. It's fucking Harvard. Um, okay, so you went to Harvard. So your first year, what? What'd you say? I wanted to do linguistics. Okay. Uh, I thought that, you know, I really loved it. And then got kind of frustrated and I realized that I wanted to instead – you know, do something that use languages or linguistics, but for as a tool for something else, right? Rather than an end in and of itself. So I ultimately did political science, okay, and Middle Eastern studies, and Middle Eastern studies. Yeah. Okay. Did you ever have a dream of starting a company that could teach languages to ignorant Americans? Yeah, my issue is like you know, there's so much stuff out there on the market right now, which is like pretty good, right? right? Rosetta Stone for is know, it good though? Well, it it, it depends, okay. right? It's extremely expensive. It's good it for some expensive. people, not for others. Yeah. Well, it's like a gym membership, right? You spend three hundred dollars for it, you and know, you go on, once, like, and you go right, exactly, yeah. right? It's an, it's like an aspirational product yeah, that you're never going to yeah, use. Yeah. Um, but there are other sites that you know, Duolingo is great. Is um, that an app? It's an app and a website. Okay. Uh, Babbel is another one. You okay. know, and these guys get very aggressive with their advertising, and I think right. they're pretty good products. Is it? I find uh, I tried learning Italian for a while, uh, and I took a teacher from uh, uh, not Santorini, that's fucking Greece, from Sicily, mm-hmm. right? Sicilian woman, and I learned it and loved it. She was a great teacher because we used a lot of toys and action figures. Like mm-hmm. she made it fun and interesting and recipes. But if you're not practicing it, it just dissolves into oblivion. Right. right. And what right. am I going to do? Move to Italy? Their economy's in the shitter. No one's <laughs> making babies there anymore either. You know what I mean? So it's like, I don't know what right. to do there. It's So it's like, how do you sustain it? Well, you don't, I guess. You said that it's yours have also yeah, dissolved. Yeah. No, I mean, I mean, for me, like the one way to keep things fresh and, and like natural every day right. is to, I, you know, basically my Facebook feed is in, is in mostly different languages. Ooh, you know, I like you that. like okay. like 10 different pages for, you know, news sites or so, you know, whatever okay. else. And you're just, you're just, Flooded with it every single morning. Yeah. Um, that's my way of keeping stuff fresh. But for most things, like, yeah, I basically don't use you it You need anymore. to actually speak, right? The fun part is, like, speaking. Well, like, so for about, th- basically all throughout college, I was really, I got really interested in dead languages. Okay. So stuff like, you know, Latin, Greek. Right. Sanskrit. Obsolete. Akkadian. Okay. Avestan, all these different wow. things. Wow. But. Um, no recordings of Akkadian. No, unfortunately yeah, not. No Although, actually, no, no. Just last week, uh, the archaeology department at Cambridge put out a feature-length film in Acadian. Really? Yeah, it's uh, terrible. I'm sure it is. That's kind of sweet. Say. Okay, that's, that's a language that Gilgamesh has written in, for example. Oh wow. Okay, um, okay. Anyway. Gilgamesh from the Smurfs. Gilgamesh from the Smurfs. Okay, yeah. okay. Um, I didn't know that there was text around him. <laughs> <laughs> but it's actually that one's kind of interesting because. Um, you know, so these these guys used to write on clay, okay, right, like clay tablets and shit right, like that. Right, right, right. Language called a system called cuneiform. Yeah, yeah, with like um, the bas relief. Sort of. Okay. Yeah. Or dug in. It's not popping out. It's right. So it's like it's like a piece of clay. You take okay. a reed, a stylus. You just press into it and okay. makes a little wedge. Okay. And that's how they recorded their language. Okay. But it was spoken for about three thousand years, and because clay doesn't degrade the way paper does, we have basically all their documents. Oh, right, wow. so we've ever, where did they find those? In Iraq and Turkey and Syria. Okay. Right, so these guys are basically contemporaneous with ancient Egypt, but unlike ancient Egypt, we have like every single tax document, all these oh, letters, wow. all these. A lot know, of clay. A lot of clay. That's, huge amount of clay. Where do they keep all the clay? It just well because they baked it, it doesn't degrade, so people just find it in the ground. They found it. You, they just you're and, trying you know, to plant some toma- heirloom tomatoes exactly. and come out with somebody's tax form from six thousand years ago. And unfortunately, now a lot of this stuff, you know, because there really haven't been that many good archaeological expeditions in Iraq since two thousand three, right. except for in northern Iraq, which is its own okay. country, its own basically. Is it? Kurdistan, like northern Ireland, okay. Kurdistan, Kurdistan. Yeah. Okay, um, you know. This stuff ends up on the black market in, in two seconds, especially okay. like with ISIS, you know, yeah. and, and especially Destroying forwards. Shit. Yeah. You used to like look on Google Maps in 2014, you'd see, you know, ISIS would come into a place like Palmyra in Syria. Right. 
within two days, there you'd see like a satellite photo and there'd just be potholes everywhere. They just started digging up everything. Wow. And then six months later- But did it, they sell it? Of course. It, okay. Because some it all of the stuff went, they just, didn't they destroy an entire city? That was in, in Mosul. They, Jesus. right, they took hammers to that shit. Um, but, but basically it's a lot more lucrative to sell it. Yeah, right? that's so, what I'm so, saying. So that industry is like tens of millions of dollars. Most okay. of it goes through Istanbul. And I mean- I, I know people who've like done investigative work on this and like you can go to Istanbul and like, you know, if you have a dealer. On the black market? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah if yeah. you have a dealer the same way you have a drug dealer, right? Right, right. You get a guy who's sending you a photo Nickel of a, bag of, of a, a 6,000 year old statue wow. from Iraq that's probably worth tens of millions of dollars. Wow. And it's just like they just have warehouses full of this stuff. Jesus. Yeah. How come the, the, the museums don't get in there? Well, the, there's a lot of ethical issues, right? They because can't buy on the black market? They can't buy in the black but market. That sucks. Get it in the museum. Get out of the black market. Get in the, I don't want it in, See, I don't, in somebody's I don't, backyard. I don't disagree with you, right? Right? But the issue is then, yeah. so let's say a museum does that, right? right? They're, they're not only funding a terrorist group, but they're also creating demand, right? Yeah. So, so if, if, but there is demand, right, and but someone if, else is funding them. That's true, right. I mean, that's it's it's a tough I mean, argument. It is. I know. I get where you're coming from, but those guys were shady anyway. Weren't there museums? Wasn't the Metropolitan the Louvre or something? They bought some illegal shit and had to well, return it somewhere to the, Greece? The or? first, the, the Elgin Marbles, yeah. The, well, that's still in London, but okay. the... The entire like first century of archaeology is basically just grave robbing. Yeah. Right. Like yeah, there is yeah. no there's no methods. There's no you know. Right. Oh, Some this guy is with how you take care of a site. Little, little like, these guys were thieves. Thing. They right. would just go in, and you know, it's the 1830s, 50s, what 80s, etc. Right. Like 1880s. It right. It's a wild just, decade. They just steal. You know, Flinders Petrie, who's probably the best known Egyptologist okay. uh, of the 19th century. I never heard. Would of just he would just go into sites and and just take stuff and take it, like it, a like and a it's, Trader Joe's bag and exactly. fill it up. He just fill it up and then it's in it's in London still today. And you That's know, what no I'm one, saying. Exactly. I'm say, let's not make these museums seem all like ethical, high and mighty shit. They die to get their hands on that shit. Exactly. Probably go through a third party in the dark web. <laughs> right. Get a lot of you know, I mean, a lot of these web. museums too. Probably, if we, you know, had it been a little bit earlier, would also be, you know, exhibiting looted Nazi art, which a lot of them have been right. until they've been forced to give it back. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. in that case, the people who were the victims are you know, still alive. Are still and alive. Families alive, and they have the legal resources to fight it. But if you're right. a tiny country like Ethiopia, let's say, yeah. or, or Iran, whatever, you know, there's not that much you can do. You just yeah. kind of, you just kind of take it. That's so the Elgin Marbles in Greece is a very good example, right? Okay. That's like an entire Greek temple that was reconstructed. Oh my God. Um, you know, and they're not getting that back anytime soon. They're not. Where is it now? It's still in London? It's still in the London. British Museum? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the the Pergamon Museum in, in, in Berlin basically is like a giant, you know, stolen Theft. palace that was reconstructed from, from ancient Babylon. Wow. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's grim. On the other hand, you could imagine, well, in a lot of these places, maybe these objects, you know, are safer being abroad than they are in the middle of a war zone. But right. that can't be like a justification. Yeah, you can always try and justify, right? right? I try and justify going to the zoo. <laughs> I went, I took, I have 34 kids, and I took them to the San Diego Zoo uh, a couple weeks ago. I didn't take them to SeaWorld after I seen that documentary. I wanted to slit those people's wrists. But but the zoo, I feel just like, oh, you know, they're helping conservation. But it's a fucking disaster. I right. mean, you're looking at these lions, and there was a panda there who looked dep- like just on Vicodin. You know what I mean? They're all sitting there <laughs> depressed. I don't care that the display looks kind of cool with some bamboo shoots. But then I say to myself, well, no, they're helping, because if not, they'll be extinct, Right. I mean, polar bear, right? Now they're, what, they also remove the protection on the grouse or something today? Probably, yeah. Like, to make a big thing to open the, you know, frack, more frack in Alaska wildlife refuge, it's just a disaster. Yeah. And I hate animals, so if I'm saying that, you know that I'm really, <laughs> it's gotten bad. What do you know about Eritrea? That's also confusing to me. I just read, I had no idea that Eritrea. The Times? Well, yeah, I didn't know yeah. that Eritrea was closed, like the citizens can't leave. Yeah. I didn't know that. I thought it, I knew it was part of Ethiopia, or it wasn't, or it was, and... They got. I don't know if I don't want to grill you on shit you don't know. No, no. But, no. Uh, uh, as far as I understand, Eritrea. I mean, I'm not an expert in this. Eritrea broke off from Ethiopia. Okay. In, uh, Whatever. 70s Let's give it a 90s. year. Sure. They speak a language that's very similar to what's spoken in Ethiopia. Okay. It's a Semitic language. Okay. They speak a language. I think it's called Tigrinya. Okay. It's Amharic in Ethiopia, but it's written with the same system. Okay. Uh, and yeah, it is a m- military dictatorship, as far as I understand. But there's also a U.S. base there. Yeah, which is there where is it gets that weird cut. double standard, right? And I think that the government's been under sanctions for a long time for like openly financing terrorist attacks against yeah. some Ethiopia, et cetera. Oh, but Lord. you know, I mean, the other thing I know about it apparently is that you know because there's this really terrible human catastrophe in Yemen right now. Yes, there is. People from Yemen have actually left. I just donated like fourteen dollars to the uh, to the Red Cross or UNHRC or something like that mm. for Yemen. I got that on my Instagram. You there get you the donates, Good and I always you. want to donate more, but then I'm like. Okay, I'll cap it. But, you know, I feel bad. I mean, Yemen is... I mean, so much of that goes to advertising anyway. Does it, though? 85,000 kids have died from starvation since this fucking shit started. And nobody knows... I mean, I know about it. People on Instagram know about it for three seconds, and they move on to buying, like, a tote. (laughs) 
Um, so what were you going to say? I'm sorry to interrupt you. I just got passionate because I had no idea how bad it was. It's you know it's it's pretty terrible. But that but that basically some of these countries that are right literally right across the Arabian Sea, like right. a couple miles off, like Eritrea, yeah, are also yeah, having yeah. to deal with the the human exodus, the fallout. Yeah. I just care about the kids, you know? It's what horrible. The, yeah, I mean, it's like, gee, and you look at the photo. It feels like back in the day when I was younger, they had the uh, UNICEF ads with the starving kids and mm-hmm. Ethiopia, they were starving. Right. Um, and then you feel like that was dumb, but that's not done. I mean, it's just getting worse. Well, so here's the question, right? And this is where it gets very interesting because everyone is so upset about what happened with the Jamal Khashoggi, which they should be, right? Yeah, Absolutely. Like one they turned dude. that man into a yeah. human stew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, on Thank the other you for hand. for the graphic. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. On the other hand, Right. The Saudi war in Yemen has been going on since, what, 2015? Yeah. And now it's trendy. Now it's trendy, right. But you imagine literally how many tens of thousands of people have either been directly killed or been killed because yep. of starvation. I mean, this country is literally on the verge of starvation. And what is the agenda? What is Saudi? Why is Saudi Arabia doing that? What What's going on? Yemen? They're just being Yemen. Like, what's, I don't understand. Yeah, it's it's tough, basically. The Saudis don't want an Iranian client state on their southern border, right? So Okay, and Yemen is being funded by it. Why are the Iranians well, not helping? They are. So there's there's a group called the Houthis in, in Yemen who okay. are um, followers of a, of a sect of Shia Islam, which okay. is similar to that one in Iran. It's not exactly the same thing. Okay, okay. But um, they... They are avowed enemies of Saudi Arabia, mm-hmm. alongside Israel, United States, and whatever else. And uh, the Iranians have basically, as far as we understand, have supplied them with missiles and other things in order to protect in order them to, from to, Saudi Arabia. Yeah, right. Or just okay. to, to basically be a thorn in, in Saudi Arabia's okay. foot. So there is a national security consideration there. Plus, like, Saudi Arabia has always had a very contentious relationship with Yemen, because in the 60s, Yemen actually was two countries. One was a Soviet Marxist state. Another one was basically the remains of a British protectorate. Uh, it gets kind of complicated. Okay. but I'm um, with you, though. I'm with you. I'm, I'm imagining this in my head. Is Yemen a big country? No. It's, it's Yeah, it's not giant. What is it like Texas? Maybe, yeah. Okay. It's bigger oh, than Israel. Pretty big. I mean, it's big yeah, well, yeah, everything's yeah. bigger than Israel. Yeah, Israel's Israel's like a postage thunk. stamp. Yeah. It's like, thunk. it's like not even Rhode Island, right? Um, well, maybe it's Rhode Island. I think it's the size of New Jersey. Okay. What, I, what I've heard. Okay. Speaking actually on a slightly separate note, there's a place in Brooklyn called Yemen Cafe. You ever been? No, it's I haven't. Is it, I don't know Yemen food. I have had Ethiopian food. It's like it's like a mix between Yemen food is like Arab food plus Indian stuff. It's like kind of spicy. Ooh, like curries and shit. I love so, coconut yeah, yeah, yeah. curries exactly. and stuff. They have coconut. I love coconut. There's literally this place in, so there's this place called Yemen Cafe in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Um, went there with my dad a few years ago before I think people basically found out about it. You okay. go in, it's all Arab guys. Right, there's right. No, there's no women. Oh, <laughs> are women? We, like, can I go? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, fuck that. Just, I'm going. <laughs> we go in, and this guy comes up to us, and he just stares at. Us. He doesn't give us a menu. He just goes, can I help He's you? He's like, what are you doing exactly. here? Exactly, Jews. But you know what? No, no. So we hit the yarmulkes. We hit the horns. It okay, actually was good. great. Hiding the horns. It was one of the move. best. It was one of the best meals I've ever had. Really? It was fantastic. You gotta go. I'm gonna go then. I it's, wonder if they deliver. They probably, probably do. Not. Yeah. Yeah. You think so? Where in Brooklyn? Uh, I don't remember exactly. Okay. What's your dad do? Is he a lawyer? Yeah. How did I? I'm good. I am fucking good. And your mom, let's see, either she's an academic or a therapist. Yeah. No, is she what? Yeah, yeah. Either one, which one, which one? Writer, academic. Okay, okay. What does she specialize in? Um, Right now, she mostly teaches writing and memoir. Um, okay. She had a bunch of, she worked at a lot of magazines in the 80s and 90s, published okay. a few books. Did they also go to Harvard? Did they meet at Harvard? No. My my dad went to Yale. Okay. Um, my mom went to a state school, cool. uh, SUNY Buffalo. Okay. Like, I was going to say SUNY New Paltz. I have a fetish with SUNY New Paltz for some, I don't know why. <laughs> you know, I went up there, I went up there to do uh, congressional canvassing. So gorgeous up there. It fucking sucked. It was great. Oh, okay. But just like, it's like everyone from New York who like has like their liberal guilt was just Goes flooding Paul- up there. New Paltz? Okay. Right. There were, there were literally like, we only right. got four or five addresses to knock on the doors oh, up because wow. everyone else was flooded. Oh, that's unfortunate. Yeah, we, you got to go further in. Exactly. Um, so let me ask you another uh, uh, a question. I, you know, I got shit from Lawrence O'Donnell for saying that phrase. Let me ask you a question. He's like, well, what are you, else are you here to do? I'm like, all right, Lawrence, take your attitude back mm-hmm. to MSNBC for just a minute. What was the wackiest language you explored? I mean, I don't put in a judgment on it, but one that's like quirky or the way they, the verbs and the pronoun, like something that's just like, you know, not. I studied a language for a little bit called Osa. Okay. From was that a little tick there? Yeah. Okay. Um, from South Africa, which is Nelson Mandela's uh, okay. native language. Okay. Um, that has a bunch of clicks. Right? Okay. So, and what is, the, but, so those just sounds like consonants? Yep. Okay. Yeah, so, um, like I think a mango is an anda. Ooh, I like, it's you just, can yeah. kind of taste it. Yeah, yeah, You yeah. know, it's a very sensual. Or I like, like the a, t- a church is um, awa. Okay. Six is uh, si- so like, I can't I even do it. I don't, want, I don't <laughs> want to destroy the language. How do you write that shit if it's like uh, a... Uh, is an X. Okay. Is a whoa, Q. Whoa, whoa, where'd that then, come from? Uh, is a C. 
But that then sounds annoying. Each of those has five different alternations. So there's actually 15 of them. What about you discover any Asian languages? Because I know that like one word in Chinese has five different like intonations. There's a very well-known um, kind of joke poem from early 20th century written by this Chinese linguist. And and in English, it sounds great. Or it sounds okay. fine, right? It, the English translation is like the lion eating poet in the stone den. Okay. And it's like the lion eating poet in the stone den eats tens lions and goes to the market. But the joke is in Chinese, it's all the same word. Wow. Is that re- um, was that real what you just did now? Is no. that okay? <laughs> they're gonna, they're so, gonna yeah. get the angry Chinese <laughs> listeners. I forget. Okay, how it but I, that's amazing. Yeah, and you, you can technically do stuff, right? Like, yeah. Similar to that. So like a, you know, did did mom scold the horse? Uh ma 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 ma. Wow. I love that. Yeah. Um I wonder if that gives them a skill set in other things, like having one word that you have to recreate five different ways makes them like work. You know, like I'll give you an example, parallel. Uh, I give my son, I don't buy my kids a lot of toys. I give them one thing and I make them recreate and reuse it in different ways. You know what I mean? And I think that teaches them resourcefulness. I don't mm. know if they're going to get into Harvard from it, but they can go to SUNY Buffalo. I won't judge them. Um, but I wonder if that language where you have to have one word that has many different ways, you look at the nuances in life a little differently. Do you think that? I don't know. I mean, about a communist country, they're all... There's this book from about 20 years ago that tried making this argument and it got, you know, kind of sla- slammed as being racist. It was oh, called, am um, I being racist? No, no, I don't. I think I'm just thinking about thought process. What's it called? Uh, writing on the wall. This guy tried making the argument that because, you know, the writing system in Chinese is so complex and there's yes. a character for every word right. that it like inhibited creativity in East Asian countries. Inhibited? Yeah. Or, or that like basically because everything is so like you just have to memorize everything, et cetera. Um, you know, I don't, I don't believe that in the slightest, I don't but think, uh, there's, I don't believe that there either. are people out there who've made that argument, you know, on the, on the aspect of, on the side of like, does it help creativity? Maybe. I maybe, mean, I know maybe not. there's been really interesting research in linguistics into how native Chinese speakers and English speakers uh, like process different kinds of questions, right? So like, you know, how do Chinese native Mandarin speakers like process math questions? Like where in the brain okay. are they doing that? Right, As right. opposed to English speakers. And sometimes you actually do see differences. Yeah, I'm sure you do. There's also um, Singapore math that they're trying to teach Americans <laughs> here. You know that? You know about Singapore no, math? No, what is that? Singapore math is a technique, of math technique, I guess because Singaporeans are amazing at math. There's all these different kind of styles of math. There's Turk math, Chicago school of math, everyday mm-hmm. math, all this shit they teach in the public schools. But Singapore math, I guess, is very big on open-ended questions and many different ways to tackle one huh. problem. Um, and so all these kids are doing it in their head. Like when we have to carry the one, you know what I mean? So it's a whole, I don't yeah. know the, the nits and grits of it. But I was just saying that's, I don't know if that's a specific, I don't know if it's related to their language or how they develop that math technique. Because it's not just teach and wrote Learn it, you know what right. I mean? It's not like this crazy Nazi, like, do it, do it, do it. It's not that. It's not Tiger Mom Central, you know what I mean? It's like a more, is that a bad thing to say? I can't no, tell no, you. No, I don't no. know where I go wrong. No, I, get, I, I, I get love mail and I get hate mail. I, don't I, I know her. Know. I've met her. You met Tiger Mom? Yeah, yeah, is her, that your her, mom? Or? No. Oh, you met the woman who wrote the book? <laughs> yeah. Oh, is she nice? Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I can tell from your face that's not true. <laughs> but, um, so I'm just saying, it's like, it's interesting to know if that language is also related to how they tackle. Yeah, so it's like, it's like a giant question, right? Like, does language influence cognition or yes. does it have no, no impact whatsoever, yes. right? Is everyone seeing everything the same but just processing it in different languages? Well, how do you isolate it? Because language is, it's not just, you know, you're, you're, unless you take a bunch of white, ethnically whatever, <laughs> white, Caucasian kids yeah. from Wisconsin and you from birth you teach them Swahili, right? And then you see if it affects them compared to the control group that's mm-hmm. studying English. But if you're, you know, studying the people in their actual native countries, the culture is, you know, you can't separate that from, right. from the linguistics. How do you even make a study about it? That's where it gets complicated, like, right? So, so there was a really uh, very popular hypothesis in linguistics that prevailed for about 20 years from the 30s forward called Sapir-Whorf, which made this argument that basically some languages allow speakers to do certain things that other languages don't. Okay. Right? So very central to this was their claim that there were all these Native American languages, which in the 1930s had not been that heavily studied, that like did not have time because they just couldn't envision like time words and they stopped their speakers from understanding the passage of certain things and therefore it just like completely change their, anyway, it was all bullshit, basically. Yeah, I don't even know that, yeah, okay. Right, but there has been a lot of interesting research in, in recent years about a, sort of stuff on the margin that might be influenced, so among other things, right, your perception of colors, interestingly okay. enough. Okay, Right, so in English, you know, we have the, you know, the, the blue-green spectrum, red, yellow, mm-hmm. et cetera, we have very, what we think of as very established colors. Um, but, you know, you could basically put all the colors that we know words for on a spectrum, and right. we just say, you know, from here to the left is green, from here to the right is blue, other languages put the parameters in different places, right? So in, in J- Japan, historically, mm-hmm. green yeah. and blue have been the same color. 
Oh, really? That makes any sense? In Russian, for example, there's there there's no word for blue. There's actually two words for blue, right? Sini and Golovoy. One of which is like a dark blue. One of which is a right. light blue. And those are as different colors for them as orange and yellow are for us. Okay, so it's not it's not dark blue, light blue. It's more discreet it's than that. It's literally, these are their own color categories, right? And, you know, to a certain degree, like, colors are sort of random, right? How do we decide what exactly is green and what is, there's, you know, there's sort of I don't know, isn't, gray it, zones. On, isn't it like a, the, the retina, isn't it dictated by our, the rods and the cones and the brain? I mean, to, isn't there like a... To a certain degree, okay. right? Okay, but, primary but, but how we, So we can see everything, but how we actually divide it up and decide okay. this is this... Is by is, the wavelengths, isn't it, is well, it not? But it's linguistic to a certain degree, right? Like okay. if when we decide, so for example, why is it that... Sky blue and navy blue right. are both considered blue for us, as opposed to saying one these are separate colors. The same. Well, way I just thought that the closer they are in their wavelengths, then they're considered a category. Like once you go to red, it's a oh, whole yeah. different wavelength than the blue family. It could be right. Right. But, so I find okay. Yeah, but this is more like literally in in terms of. I just d- think the Russians are weird. It could be. Well, they are weird. I mean, I think know? we're right and they're all <laughs> wrong. I mean, I don't know. Blue and light blue and dark blue is the same fucking blue. Sure. Well, you know, but then there are languages that actually don't even have word colors that are that expansive, right? They will have something that's in the red zone, something that's in the okay. black zone. And even in Homer, right, in, in the Iliad. Yeah, never the, read it. The words he basically haven't either. The words he uses to describe colors are very weird from modern day perspective. So he'll describe things like the wine dark sea. Okay. Or like, Ooh, like honey that, green. Though. Anyway, but so there was this big argument in the 1900s when people first started going into linguistics seriously, yeah. like, were the Greeks blind? Right, right. Maybe they had. I mean, yeah, that's in wine colored. Um, See, maybe the water was just full of blood at that point. Yeah, no, you especially know, in Homer, it could have been. Yeah. But basically, all of the colors are very off. And what you see in a lot of ancient texts as well is that, like, their color spectrum doesn't really seem to make a lot of sense from a modern perspective. Oh, that's interesting. Anyway, so so there's research now about, you know, okay, are you better able to identify certain colors or actually see distinctions between them if your language, you know, like primes you to think that? Maybe. Um, there's more interesting stuff with like understanding geographical space, right? Because there are certain languages that have um, what are called uh, egocentric directions or basically like instead of saying... Like you're the center of the universe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So instead of saying things are... N- sorry. No, no. It's the opposite of egocentric. Cardinal okay. directions. So okay. in English, we have egocentric directions, right? You are in front of me. Right. He's to my right. Okay. This is behind me. It's all in reference to where I the yeah, speaker am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there are languages in Australia, there's an right. Aboriginal, Aboriginal language, okay. yep, that instead uses cardinal directions, so northeast, southwest. So you, I'm like north of you? So you're north of me, and there's a bug on your east knee, and there's, you know, oh, et cetera. Oh, wow. Okay. Is that so, more of a communal, do they have more of a communal, like less ego, like, you know, like Buddhist, like less of the I and more of the we? Could be. I'm not I'm not exactly okay. sure about that, but what it happens is, so there are people who tested kids who speak these languages, they'll blindfold right. them in a room, spin them around a bunch of times, you yeah. know, after the kid pukes, yeah, yeah. he can still tell that's north, that's east, that's south, that's west, without any kind of reference. Oh, right? wow. So you basically have this internal compass. So there is interesting experience as well where, like, you know, they'll, they'll take kids and put them in rooms that are, like, exactly the opposite of one another, and they'll remember different rooms or things like that. Okay. So there's small stuff, like... Maybe yeah. on the boundary, but overall, I would say sounds like a stretch a little bit. You yeah, because yeah, yeah. obviously, if you spin another kid around, um, he'll still know where someone's behind him or someone's in front of him. Right. I wonder if that's the case because it's yeah. just like a semantic thing, right? It's not like right. they have a better sense of fucking direction. Maybe they have yeah. a magnet in their in the womb. I find language fascinating, and I, I you know I think cultures. The sad part I find today is that we are, I don't want to call it identity politics. I don't think it's a whole, I think I misuse that maybe a little bit, but we are all human. And I think I rejoice in studying other cultures. And a lot of people use it as an excuse for, as the other, right? Like mm-hmm. they're different than I am, as opposed to being fascinated by it. Right. They're scared, a xenophobe, whatever. And a good thing about America was always that, like, especially like New York, you have all these things you can embrace. You can go to Yemen Cafe. Right. You know what I mean? You can go. But, but I don't think Americans, Americans don't travel as much at all, right? And when they do travel, they look for the familiar, right? Like going yeah. to Bangkok and eating at a fucking McDonald's. Yeah. And learning the language, it's also, I don't know why Americans, why we have such a hard time with accents and dialect. We slaughter. I don't, look, I don't know if the Germans can speak French without an I'm sure they're just as bad at it, and I'm just being, like, biased against Americans. But did you have to, um, do you have a proclivity also towards having a good accent, or do you speak with a heavy American accent in all your languages? Depends who you ask. <laughs> okay, but people that are not hypercritical. Well, my, my girlfriend is Turkish. She tells me I speak like a six-year-old with a speech impediment. Oh, so that's, that's so cute. She's not, she, I'm sure she's very sweet. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Be easy on Tim, um, lady. But uh, no, so I, I used to be, I was a child actor, and I used to do You were? Voices. Did you do commercials? I did, yeah, yeah. 
What, 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 what I remember? Uh, you probably wouldn't remember. Most of them were radio. But, okay, okay. Um, I did get a callback to be the kid on The Incredibles. Oh, wow. In 2003. Okay. I, uh, I did a commercial for the Joe Torre Foundation, which is about child abuse. So I was Great. a very That's sad fun. kid just walking around yeah. being sad. Wow. I missed third grade picture day for that. You did. But I used to I used to do accents and stuff like that at audition. You know, I do like Apu okay. from The Simpsons or Fat Bastard from Austin Powers and okay. all that stuff. So you, you, had a, you, you, you were good at that anyway. And do you speak to your girlfriend in Turkish? Well, the thing is... I've been dating for about a year. Okay. And, and you met how? Uh, she goes to Harvard. Okay. So you she, met at Harvard. Did you just, just just graduate from Harvard? Yeah, in May. You just graduated? Yeah. So you've been at this think tank or whatever you fucking do. You've been working since like a few months. Yeah. You got a job straight out of college? Mm-hmm. Wow, that's amazing. Do a lot of kids from Dalton go end up at Harvard? My year, there were nine. Out of, wow, that's out of a lot. 120. Sucks for the other hundred, right? <laughs> like the other one's like, we paid all this money for you to go to fucking Dalton, and now you're going to. Yeah, it's like it's very weird. Every like, is it fall, very competitive? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There oh. were like twenty kids who applied to Yale early in my year, and like three got in first. And just, That's terrible. Do you brutal. feel? I don't know if this is true or not, and I don't want to. Um, I, I know it's a whole scandal now with Harvard applications mm-hmm. and all that with shit. The Asians. And, I have a friend, friend who says to me, because I don't care, my kids are autodidactic. I find, you know, soon liberal arts educations are going to go obsolete and people are going to be entrepreneurs and just, you know, fly to the moon. But uh, if you're a white kid, right, if you're a white kid at a private school, you have a harder time getting into these schools than if you're a white kid in a public school. Is there any truth to that? Like a good, like if you're at the top of your class at Dalton versus the top of your class at a public school, do you think I don't? Do you know anything about this? Um, I don't really. Okay, then forget it. I just Fuck know. It. Forget the last question. <laughs> I know bits and pieces that have come out from the admissions like trial right. or whatever. Yeah. And um, it looks like they they do have like very clear standards for rural versus urban kids, okay. for public versus private. You know, a lot of times, like for example, they'll give like white kids from rural areas a higher uh, ranking. Right. Right. But, right. And that'll carry for everyone else from rural areas except for Asians. I mean, there's a lot of, like, very clear discriminatory practices here. Yeah, yeah. Um, But it's all, you know, look, it's their right, isn't it? They're trying to create a diverse student body. I don't know. I mean, I'm never going to Harvard. It doesn't matter to me, but. uh, On the other hand, it's like, it's it's pretty fucked up when you think about it, right? Because all all of it, like, seems to be done under the table, and it's not clear how systematic it is. But it's like, you have these Asian kids who are. Um, working their ass off. Working their asses off and are the same as their peers in terms of their scores and whatever their extracurriculars. And then, you know, they'll have a great interview, but then they'll be ranked by their, you know, by the reading the f- committee is, you know, with these, these with code the words, right? Like, shit, right, yeah. is, is not as social as we'd like him to be or is, you, yeah. know, you know, and again, this is how Ivy League schools kept out Jews, you know, yeah. 70, 80 years ago. Instead right. of saying, you know, we're not accepting you because you're Jewish, they would say you don't have, you don't have the, you know, the, the virtues of. Oh, the value system. Right. They would, I mean, they would code basically everything yeah. that meant old school wasp and then just say you don't have that. But That's it's, you know, up. you need to strengthen Look, your character. I'm not all for exclusion. I'm all for creating a – I think people are more than their scores, right? So as long as they take considerations into factor beyond just the test scores, because if, you know – I mean, I don't know if they went just by test scores and it was blind. You wouldn't even know where the fuck the person was from or there's right. no interview or it was, blind, it was in a dark room. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know what would happen. I don't know what the student body would look like. But people that have had a disadvantage, I'm all for bringing them in. I mean, like I said, it's, it's, it's all so fucked. It's, um, do you go to Turkey with your girlfriend? Um, I went this summer, not with her. Yeah, I'm like, sure she'd love that. It's a source of uh, some tension. I, I, I imagine so. Is she like, what the fuck, Erdogan or Erdogan is like, fuck, like, you know, because that's a mess over there too with Turkey, right? Yeah. I mean, they're like, oh, we're doing this with the Saudi, we're not, we're there, we're depressed. Yeah. What? That's almost as confusing as Iran, Turkey. Yeah, Turkey is, uh, you know, a, a kind of sad situation because it's a country that, you know, for lack of a better term, seemed like it was on on the path to integration with Europe and to democratization mm-hmm. and then just has this complete backsliding. Yeah. Right? So Isla- if you look... Islamist? Yeah. I mean, Erdogan is an Islamist, yeah. right? But but it's not even specific to, to any kind of Islamist ideology. It's more... This guy's an authoritarian. Yeah. And he very, you know, adeptly did this, the salami slicing tactic. He took power and then bit by bit, he cut out this, he cut out this, he cut out this. 15 years later, he's dictator for life. 15 it's, years he's been in power already this 2002, dude? yeah. 2003. Good night. Okay. Right. Um, Can Turks leave if they want? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's a, it's a completely, you know, it's not like an Islamic Republic. It's yeah, not, it's a that's complete. That's confusing, right? You know, it's close to Europe. Right. And um, it's got a lot of good food and culture and beautiful places. Right. So it's got but, a big tourism industry, but right? It, it is, yeah. But then we have this guy in power who is, um, 
you know, for for lack of a better term, who's an authoritarian, yeah, right, yeah, and yeah. who knew basically how to an anti 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 Semite anti Israel, yeah, but a lot of that is for, is for kind of populist for reasons, yeah, okay, but, you know, but I, it's it's a kind of cautionary tale about what can happen, you know, when you yeah. have people who know how to take down democracy from the inside, bit by right? bit, he used democracy as a way of. Gaining Isn't power. Isn't that like what Hitler did? That's exactly what Hitler yeah, did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly what's happening in Hungary. It's what's happened. Right. It probably is going to happen again in Brazil. It's what's yeah. happened, you know, piece by piece in in Italy and other you places. You want to say here too? I'm waiting for you to say in the United States, right? I mean, obviously, yeah. yeah. That's that's kind of where it's it not going to happen down here. To. We'll, we'll be we'll be okay. Yeah, I'm so trying to be an optimist here. There's a very famous novel from 1930s by Sinclair Lewis called "It Can't Happen Here," which right. is about cut to it happens here, <laughs> which is about this very same thing happening. Yeah. People saying, you know, it can't, and then this populist gets in power, and then it's the it's the Salami tactic again. The salami. I like salami. I do I too. like Hungarian salami. Okay. I'm a big pork eater. Hmm. I'll be honest. Are you? Do you eat pork as a Jew? Yeah. You I'm do. not religious. You're yeah. not religious. Now, is your girlfriend Muslim? Technically, yeah. Technically, okay. So she's Shiite. No, uh, Sunni. She's Sunni. Sorry. Yeah. Well, she's her Sunni. her parents are Bulgarian, but she's Sunni. Oh so wow. There's, there's, a, there's a lot of Turks in in Bulgaria. Okay, and a lot of Bulgarians in Turkey. Or not so much? Not not as much. Okay. But, but basically, if you look over the Balkans, because that used to be the Ottoman Empire, there are Muslim minorities everywhere. Okay. Right? So Albania is predominantly Muslim because of the Ottomans. Okay. Uh, Kosovo is Muslim. Kosovo, right. Bosnia, right, okay. the Bosniaks, Muslims. Yeah. It all goes back to the Ottomans. Okay. So Bulgaria and Romania also had very large Turkish populations that then kicked out. Okay. So she is, yeah, her parents are from Bulgaria. Her parents are from Bulgaria. Okay, but so she, but was she raised like Muslim? No, okay, so it's just secular. Yeah, yeah. Secular. she's she's a she's a TV star in Turkey, actually. Is she really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, she's supposed to be hot. Then she had to be. Uh, she had to be. Her character had to be murdered so that she could come to Harvard. So oh, she's assassinated. Wow. And it's very, she's See what people operating. do to get to Harvard? They get <laughs> murdered on TV to get into Harvard. Um, that's amazing. Does she? Do you ever feel like she might have preconceived notions about Jews that she's not telling you? Mm, no, I don't think so. Okay, I think I think basically if you're from, I don't know. I I don't think. In generally speaking, like Turkey is that much of an anti-Semitic or anti-American society. Well, they are Semitic too, aren't they? Isn't everybody a Semite? I'm so confused. So in, in Turkey, ethnically or linguistically, they are Semites. Turks. They're Turks. Okay. So they're, not, they're not Semites. But, um, but there are a lot of Arabs that are Semites. Arabs are Semites. Yeah. And then they're anti-Semite. Like what? Yeah. So it's it's kind of weird because anti-Semite has been over repurposed kind of, as okay. exactly. But okay. Arabs. So Arabs speak a Semitic language, right? Arabic yeah, is Semitic. Yeah. 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 You know, Iran is not Semitic, and no. every Iranian I know insist on telling me that, you know, 50 times in conversations. Like Harvard, right? yeah, yeah, like, exactly. I'm not Semitic. We're not Arab. We're Persian. We're Persian. We're Persian. We're Persian. Um, That's funny. Yeah. I like that. The, the Persian accent is hilarious. <laughs> I mean that in a good way, not in a derogatory way. Amazing, Timothy. Do- is it donor? Donor. Donor. Yeah. Okay. Do you have any siblings? I do. And are they as smart as you? Yeah, she's much smarter. What are they doing now with their lives? My sister is 27. Okay. And she lives in Uganda, and she runs field operations for an NGO. Oh, fuck She's her. like, actually. God damn with these do-gooders. Well, that's how I fucking feel all the time. Does she speak Ugandan? I'm not sure. I think so. Have you visited her in Uganda? I have not. My parents did. Well, you should go. I'd love to go. So she's there doing the whole thing. They're going to make a movie about her at some point. Right. That's going to be on Netflix. She's going to kill Joseph Coney. Uh, and then what's your, what, do you have another sibling? No, just one. Just two. Okay, and you guys get along. You Skype, you FaceTime. What do you do? Yeah, we FaceTime. Mm. Okay, and your parents are retired, still working. You're so young, they're probably still working. So, well, no, my, da- my dad's in his late 60s. My okay. mom is in, in her early 60s. They had me late. They had you late. Well, yeah. good that they had you, though, because you're delightful. Thank you. And I wish you a lot of luck. Are you going to still make any more YouTube videos, or that's like, I was a child then? Honestly, like every time you click on it, uh, I get you know a cent or two. So oh, good. I feel like it's How probably much in my money favor. you made on that shit? Uh, not that much. A couple of thousand dollars. Yeah, but in the last six years or so. So you know, I, I feel like it's in my interest to make more. But uh, well, whatever, dude. I mean, but no, anyway, it's true. You know, you do something online that's stupid when you're 15. It lives with you for the rest of your that's life. A, yeah, but that's, that's great. Kind of <laughs> a good thing to, to to have done. But um, thank you for coming. Thank you, Timothy Donor. And uh, stay tuned for next week when we have someone that again doesn't speak anything just like I do. This is Raylan Casper White signing off. <laughs>